Okay, let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, again so much for another day just to be alive, have the chance to be part of your plan for us. We thank you for leaving us here and allowing us to accomplish eternal things for your glory with our little measly lives. We ask, Father, that you help us focus right now on your word. Help us forget about the details of life, but help us know right now we're in your presence and your spirit is with us. And we thank you so much for your graciousness and your patience with us. And most of all, Father, we thank you for sending your precious son down 2,000 years ago to remove a debt that we could never pay. We're so grateful. And Father, we also thank you for eternal assurance that you give us in your word. We ask that you bless this time together. Help us concentrate, Father. It's in Christ's precious name we pray. And by the power of your spirit, we pray. Amen. All right. Eternal assurance. Let not your hearts be troubled. Part three. This was a major um, idea or emphasis when we started this a couple weeks ago. Uh, so just if you're wondering where parts one and two are, if you're just joining us, you can go back to February 23rd and 27th to tune in on the website and uh, catch up to where we are now. But I just want to thank Pastor Collins for the chance again to stand behind his pulpit and allowing me to finish this series in short order. And as you know, the Spirit has had us talking a lot about the Lord being our confidence. And there's not many other subjects besides this one where, um, that instills that confidence in us. And it's all based upon what the Lord has done for us and established for us and promises to hold on to for us. We'll see that and those ideas in a lot of scripture. So tonight we're going to jump right in on eternal assurance. Uh, hopefully we'll get through uh, most of this tonight. Uh, we'll see. There might be some scriptures you can write down later on and uh, you know go through on your own as we might not get through it all. But get your fingers ready to do the walking as the saying goes. So first off just a couple of review points regarding eternal assurance. Jesus purchased eternal life for us by his blood, and he has also given us eternal assurances of what's to come. What a wonderful thing, especially from his own mouth. Jesus purchased eternal life for us by his own blood. We know that. And he has also given us eternal assurances of what's to come. So we're going to see a lot of that tonight. We believers should confidently claim all the wonderful promises and evidences about eternal assurance that we have, being in Christ. God wants us to claim these assurances, these um, proof, proof points, if you will, in Scripture, because He wants us to walk around boldly and at, at ease and at peace, not arrogantly as though we're better than anybody else, but in total confidence that He's our Father. He wants us to walk around like that, and that's why maybe why the Spirit has titled this Eternal Assurance. A little bit more about our eternal assurance in Christ. Because salvation depends upon God and Christ, 
and His love and faithfulness, we believers can have assurance because His work and His power are perfect. When Jesus said it is finished on the cross, He meant it. And He's the only one that could say it and not have a flaw in His thinking or His actions to follow through. It is finished. The work has been done. His work and His power are perfect to keep us saved. So assurance is something that God wants us to walk around with every day. You're only going to get that if you stick to the Word of God, if you cling to the Word of God. That's the only way you're going to experience the type of confidence and assurance that He wants you to possess. And as came out in part two, we're not only talking about statements in the Bible that directly talk about eternal security but we're also talking about the ability to walk around with an assurance in our souls that is supernatural, uh, knowing that we possess eternal life in Christ. So this was another uh, big part of the first two messages. Jesus tells we believers to be assured, in so many words, uh, as in John 14, 1 and 2, let not your hearts be troubled, believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house there are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And verse 27, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Hundreds of times, I believe, in the Bible, we're told not to fear and not to be afraid. And there's a reason for that. He knows our our weakness, number one. But there's also something that we do have to be eternally sure about because it's totally a work of God on our behalf. And as also came up in the first couple parts, ask yourself this question as you look at these verses on the board. Why would Jesus himself tell us believers not to be afraid if we actually had something to be afraid of? He would never do that, right? What is he just being, you know, positive attitude, being hopeful? Or does he know all things? He wouldn't lead us into a false sense of security, like a lot of people in the world do, a lot of sinners do in the world. They might even mean, you know, the best for you, but they might lead you into a false sense of security because they don't have all the facts or they don't have all the power to do that with what they say. For you, it's totally opposite in this case with the Lord. So that's why we can rest upon statements like this on the board. So besides John 14, we also use Romans 8 as a platform for this series. And we're going to quote from it a couple times tonight. We're not going to read it again. But we saw some confidence-building questions for we believers in Romans 8, especially at the end of Romans 8. So just to review, do we forget that by grace through faith, we believers are co-victors with Jesus Christ, more than conquerors through him who loved us? Romans 8, 37. Do we forget that? And if we do, why do we forget that? It's our own fault if we forget it, that this truth that we can stand on with such confidence we don't walk around with it. 
What could be the problem? As we're going to see later, it's because some lies have infiltrated our souls. So this is another reason we need the Word of God daily on the board. You want to have eternal assurance? Contextual biblical teaching from the pulpit, along with daily reading our Bibles, protects us from the lies of insecurity. We are are being pummeled every day in this world with the lies of insecurity. And we, we almost don't have a choice because we have to live in the world, right? We don't have to be of the world, but we're in it. And we're going to hear things, see things that we don't want to necessarily. So our only protection, as the Spirit's been hounding us for years, is the daily intake of the Word of God, you know, in different forms. We're so graced out in this church with different forms, different ways to take in the Word, uh, learning to read our own Bibles in context. These are the only things, the words of Jesus, for example, are going to protect us from the lies of insecurity sneaking in. And we're destined as believers to walk around with, with this kind of assurance. This is, our, this is our, our purpose. This is letting our light shine to the world. This is why we're here and how we're supposed to walk. So, as we also covered in part two, we talked about how uh, we started covering some points from this blog from Pastor Collins on March 1st of 19. An assurance of salvation is by grace through faith. A wonderful summary, if you will, but you know, chock full of wonderful points and scriptures. Hopefully you went through it on your own. We're going to use just some of this as an outline, which we started in part two on the subject of assurance. And also, the Spirit has given us some wonderful scenic rest stops, let's call it, on the way. As you'll see, he's given us some wonderful things to consider in between these points, um, all to the glory of God, by grace through faith, you know. Um, you'll see and hopefully enjoy these things and as they almost like fill in spaces on our journey. And how about thanking God that he's even given us scriptures that assure us? He certainly could have said, you know, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. And left it at that, right? He could have done that and left us on our own and, you know, said, come on, have faith. Why are you, why are you doubting, Right? Could have left us to ourselves in a way. He give, gives us assurance after assurance after assurance in the scriptures to encourage us that we're in his hands. So thank God for all these details that his love provides for us. So our first point from the blog that we covered is that as true believers, we enjoy fellowship with God the Father and the Son through the Spirit. 1 Corinthians 1.9 1 John 1, 3, Galatians 2, 20, and 1 John 5, 1. So let's uh, go through these scriptures here. Again, get your fingers ready. Go to 1 Corinthians 1, 9. 1 Corinthians 1, 9. Again, as true believers, we enjoy fellowship with God the Father and the Son through the Spirit. So says the Word of God. 1 Corinthians 1, 9. God is faithful, 
by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. God is faithful. By whom, that faithful God, we were called into fellowship with his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Go to 1 John 1.1. 1 John 1.1. Again, as true believers, we enjoy fellowship with God, the Father, and the Son through the Holy Spirit. 1 John 1, 1. Boy, you guys are slow. You guys should know where 1 John is. What's going on out there? Eesh. All right, uh, verses 1 through 3. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest. I hope you remember that introduction to this series on on love being manifest to us. The life, eternal life, God's life was made manifest. And we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. Our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. Now, as the Spirit emphasized in part two, please listen carefully. If you enjoy reading this verse and seeing what we just read in verse 3, for example, and this is a reality in your life, then that's a fruit of your salvation and a reason you should have eternal assurance. That's an evidence that your heart is changed. In other words, you're not indifferent towards the things of God. To the believer, God has given a new heart that possesses an appreciative attitude towards the things of God. And we look at a verse like verse 3 and we, we have a certain peace or a certain, you know, um, happiness even that we have fellowship with God now through His Son. Go to uh, 1 John 5, verse 1. 1 John 5, 1, since we're in 1 John. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ, has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of Him. So first we see here the simple truth of being born again or born of God. The one who trusts in Jesus as his Lord and Savior has been born of God. And a fruit or an evidence of that new birth is love for the Father and for those born of Him. How do we start this series? That God's love reached down to save us and that same love we're supposed to have for one another and that love covers a multitude of transgressions. So we have this love now as believers. We have love for the Father and love for those born of Him. So that means you've been made new and you are His possession forever. That's the good news. That's the evidence. These things come out 
in you. You're, you're, you're different. You're not indifferent towards the things of God anymore like you were before you were saved. So again, on the board, as true believers, we enjoy fellowship with God the Father and the Son through the Spirit. And let's go to Galatians 2.20. Galatians 2.20. <clears throat> this verse I love. You know, it simplifies things for me and um, gets me focused and humble. Hopefully it does the same for you. Galatians 2.20. Paul wrote, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Again, if you enjoy what you just read, if you embrace the fact that you now live for Christ, you embrace the fact that Jesus loved you and gave himself up for you, that's a reason right there for assurance with God. That's a reason to know that you're in Christ Jesus. Amen? Does that make sense? I mean, this is, this is the Spirit's emphasis in the series on the board regarding eternal assurance in Christ. If in your heart you enjoy the truths found in verses, such as Galatians 2.20, you apparently possess some supernaturally granted love and affection for Christ which a man can only receive by grace through faith. You can't, you can't have that um, enjoyment or that peace when you read these things without the Spirit, without His grace changing you through faith in Christ. So hopefully you see the point. If not, ask God to show you the point. Seriously. But He wants us believers to live a life of assurance and that he's for us and not against us. Let's just see a small reminder of that principle. Go to Romans 8.31. Romans 8.31. Again, if in your heart you enjoy the truths found in verses like Galatians 2.20, you apparently possess some supernaturally granted love and affection for Christ which a man can only receive by grace through faith. Romans 8, 31 and 32. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? So, in other words, let not your hearts be troubled. Our next point from Pastor's blog we're going to review is that as true believers, we are personally comforted and assured by the God of all grace. Go to Psalm 34, 8. Psalm 34, 8, 2 Corinthians 1, 3, Philippians 4, 19, Hebrews 4, 16, and 1 Peter 5, 10. We are personally comforted and assured by the God of all grace. In other words, God is personal. He has his ways with his children. He knows how to reach each one of us, how to comfort each one of us, how to show his hand in our lives on a daily basis. Psalm 34, 8. 
Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Is that you? Do you habitually turn to God in your heart and take refuge in him? Do you seek refuge in him? Like your heavenly father's wing, so to speak, as the analogy goes. Do you seek protection under his wings? If so, that's another good sign that your heart has been changed and you belong to him. So you should be assured. You should enjoy the eternal assurance that he wants you to have. As we've learned in the last year or so, regarding eternal assurance, true believers have an affection for the Lord Jesus. They have some type of affection for him. That's a fruit of a born-again believer. It comes in different shapes and sizes. It, it looks differently with some people. Some people it's very overt. Some people it's a, almost an inner peace that radiates from them, whatever. But true believers have some type of an affection, appreciation for the Lord Jesus. That's a fruit of being born again. And we just read that in 1 John 1, 3 and 5, 1. Do we struggle sometimes, even with our faith? Of course we do. That's going to happen till the day we die. But the Lord is our confidence. That's our habitual way of living. The Lord is our confidence. We're not our confidence. The Lord is our confidence. He's why we are assured. Because through Christ, he's the channel, if you will, to the Father, right? Through Christ, we are assured. It's based on his power and his accomplishments not our own. Remember this old friend in John 1, 12 and 13. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Born of God. Born again. However you want to say it, it says it differently in different passages. But quite a few passages speak about this new birth. And it cannot be of your own power, of your own human will. God is the one that calls and elects, as we know, by grace. And John tells us here that we're born of God by believing in or trusting in his name, just like we saw in 1 John 5, 1. So on the board... Regarding being born again and saved, if you've repented towards God and placed your trust in the Lord Jesus, then you will have an affection for him and you can rest assured he called you and elected you. You belong to him. He did this thing in you. He snatched you out of the fire. He changed you when you surrendered to him. You belong to him. We're not going to review all these verses on the board because uh, we've gone over them over the years, but we are going to go to just one in Luke 18, verse 13. Go to Luke 18, 13. We've also seen John 1, 12 and 13, John 3, 1 through 18, John 5, 24, Acts 16, 31, Acts 20, 21, Romans 10, 9 through 11. For those of you that have been faithful to this ministry, you're pretty familiar with those verses. But just a little assurance, as is our topic. Look at Luke 18, 13 through 14. 
But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, said Jesus, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Justified. So again on the board, if you've repented towards God and placed your trust in the Lord Jesus, then you will have an affection for him. And you can rest assured he called you and elected you. You belong to him. And back to our main point. As true believers, we are personally comforted and assured by the God of all grace. Go to 2 Corinthians 1.3. told you you're going to be busy tonight. A lot of scriptures. Second Corinthians 1 Corinthians 1.3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and God of all comfort. If, if you read that and you, and you feel grateful, again, that's a good sign of eternal assurance. The Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. You know he's merciful. You know him. We're going to get to that a little bit, little bit later. The believer knows God and Christ, knows his mercy. So just to drive the point home on the board regarding eternal assurance in Christ, if appreciation for these truths is going on in your heart, that's a sign you belong to him. It's that simple and pure. That's good fruit. Right there in your soul, that's good fruit fruit of his spirit within you. Amen? It's not complicated. It's simple. It's pure. It's good. It's like the thief on the cross, you know? Jesus, remember me when you come in your kingdom. It's like the, the tax collector we just read about. God, be merciful to me, the sinner. It's simple and pure and good like that, you know? There's a humility and appreciation that comes out of the heart of a believer. That's a fruit of being born again. So enjoy that if you have that in you, if you see that in yourself. Not perfectly, but, you know, on a regular basis. If that's you, then you're a new person in Christ. All right, and the nice thing is that you know this because uh, you know him. You know him. You wouldn't... Uh, Feel that way or be grateful like that if you didn't know him. So here's a little, um, what do we call it, like the rest stops that God's given us tonight in the middle of this series regarding being born again and saved. True believers know the Lord. They know who he is and his love and faithfulness and forgiveness. As in John 10, 14 through 16, 27 through 28, 17, 3, 2 Timothy 2, 19. As opposed to those lawless ones to whom Jesus said, I never knew you, in Matthew 7, 23 and 25, 12. So we're going to uh, stop and smell the roses here on this subject, 
Go to John 10, 14. John 10, 14. And this is right in line with eternal assurance. It's another fruit, if you will, that you, have a, you know who he is. You understand his mercy, that he is merciful, that he is love, and you are grateful for those things. John 10, 14 through 16, Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So that there will be one flock, one shepherd. Look at verse 27. John 10, 27. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Go to John 17, verse 1. John 17, verse 1. Again, the point is true believers know the Lord. They know who he is and his love and his faithfulness and forgiveness. John 17, 1. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. And finally, go to 2 Timothy 2.19. 2 Timothy 2.19. But again, that is eternal life, that we know this God of mercy, and that we know what we, he's done for us and how faithful he is. 2 Timothy 2.19. But God's firm foundation stands, bearing this seal. The Lord knows those who are His, and let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. So in other words, if you actually care about avoiding iniquity, not saying you're perfect, right? But if you actually care about avoiding iniquity and letting God down, if you care about lawless living, or if you desire to do the right thing, like Paul did in Romans 7, even though he failed repeatedly, that's a sign that your heart has been changed and you belong to God. In your heart, you desire to bring him glory and honor. And your overall lifestyle reveals that. That's what a true believer looks like. And thus the point on the board. All right, so back to our main point. Before that little rest stop, as true believers, we are personally comforted, assured by the God of all grace. Go to Philippians 4.19. Philippians 4.19. If I seem to be going a little bit fast, I apologize. I feel like I'm going fast. But um, I also want to try to get through the material tonight and uh, finish on something he wants us to dwell on. 
Philippians 4, 19 and 20. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. And go to Hebrews 4, 16. Hebrews 4, 16. So we're comforted by the fact that God will supply every need according to his word. Hebrews 4.16 Let us then with confidence, or we might say with assurance, draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. God loves giving grace to the humble. And as believers, we should go to the throne with confidence. And go to uh, 1 Peter 5.10. 1 Peter 5.10. You know, as a believer, we know this God of mercy. We know what he's done for us to prove that he's a God of love and mercy. So the believer goes to God whenever he desires, knowing his Lord, knowing this God of grace. That's why we go to him whenever we want, like a child running to his father without any inhibitions you know what I mean go <laughs> anytime you want you know jump on his lap if you will anytime you want that's our right and our privilege as adopted children of God first Peter 5 10 and 11 and after you have suffered a little while the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ I have in my notes wow I mean, just look at that phrase again. The God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ. How can you not be eternally assured when you read something like that? He hasn't called you just to be saved and hope you get there. He's called you to his eternal glory in Christ. And he will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. All right, so our next point from the blog is that as true believers, we enjoy being made new, freed from a fearful spirit of slavery in Christ Jesus. Romans 8.15, 2 Corinthians 3.5-6, and 5.17. So go to Romans 8.15. Romans 8.15. As true believers, we enjoy being made new, Freed from a fearful spirit of slavery. We're now in Christ Jesus. This is especially pertinent right now with all the virus talk going around. We should not have a fearful spirit. It's one thing if you want to be prepared or use common sense, but we should never be walking around in fear. We know God's always in control. Nothing's going to happen apart from his divine plan for us. So we should enjoy that we're made new and that we're protected also under his wings. Romans 8.15 For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Right? Dad. By the Holy Spirit within us, we call God Dad now. We're not 
in, in fear anymore. We have the all-powerful, mighty God as our Father. We were all orphans in this world. We were all born slaves to sin. But the Lord reached down to us and saved us, adopted us as his own. God loves orphans, remember. He reached down and he crossed the chasm for us on the board. It gives our loving God immense joy to rescue those who humbly turn to him. I mean, do you think of God as joyful, like really joyful, when somebody comes to him? We should. Uh, go to Luke 15, verse 7 first. Luke, Luke 15, 7. Just a friendly reminder about God's heart for us. It gives our loving God immense joy to rescue those who humbly turn to him. Luke 15, 7. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. More joy in heaven than we can even imagine. Think of the father of the prodigal son running out to meet his returning son, to hug him and kiss him and love him and bless him with great eagerness and joy. That's a picture of God the Father, our Father. That's his attitude towards us. So look at Luke, Luke 15, 20. Luke 15, 20. And he, the prodigal son, arose and came to his father. But when he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet, and bring the fattened calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now think of the joy Jesus had knowing he was going to save all of us. Think of the joy Jesus had knowing he was going to save all of us. Might we say that Jesus possessed the joy of the Father that we see in this passage? So here's something else the Spirit wants us to think about regarding the joy of the Father. Let's remember, the child Jesus is also called Eternal Father in Isaiah 9.6. And Jesus and the Father are one in John 10.30. And Jesus said, whoever has seen me has seen the Father in John 14.9. What can we then conclude about Jesus and the Father's joy? Is it any less? Or is it the exact same? <laughs> And we know for the joy set before him, he endured the cross in Hebrews 12 too. He rejoiced in his heart at the opportunity to save our fallen, helpless souls. Joy, inner joy at, at, at that, at times when he was going to the cross, it was brutal. 
but he had an inner joy. He had this picture in his heart, being one with the Father, of rejoicing at saving us forever and ever. And he also rejoiced at the opportunity to cover our sins once for all. So, again on the board, let's just remember that Jesus and the Father are one. He has the same joy that the Father has for his children. And again, as true believers, we enjoy being made new, freed from a fearful spirit of slavery in Christ Jesus. Go to 2 Corinthians 3, verse 5. 2 Corinthians 3, we'll actually start in verse 4. If you guys don't mind, we're going to go for an hour and a half tonight. Is that okay? I'm only kidding. Don't get upset. Looks like we were not going to get through uh, everything anyway, but if you want some, some of it that you might have missed, you can always send me an email and I'll send you what I can. But 2 Corinthians 3, verse 4. Such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God. Sound familiar? Such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God, who has made us competent to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Go to 2 Corinthians 5.17. 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, new things have come. That's us. In Christ, brand new. And since we're in the neighborhood, look at verse 21. 2 Corinthians 5.21. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So there's more reason for our assurance as believers. God did all this for us. He made us new. He made us new creatures. He even gave us his own righteousness. Our next point on the board, as true believers... We are given new abilities to learn from the Word of God for sanctification's sake. God gave us new abilities to learn and understand the things in the Word of God for sanctification's sake. Go to 1 Corinthians 2, verse 10. 1 Corinthians 2, we'll start in verse 9. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person which is in him? So also, no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received 
not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. We have this power now, this gift, if you will, this ability, God-given ability to understand the things of God because he's given us his spirit. So if you're reading your Bible and gradually seeing and understanding spiritual things, that's a supernatural sign of his spirit within you. I know some people in our church that really struggled when they first started reading their own Bibles. It was really difficult and they just didn't get it, right? And that may be you, I don't know, but those same people that I'm thinking of right now, actually enjoy reading their Bible every day now and are rejoicing because God is giving them understanding. It's a supernatural thing. It's a sign that you're His because His Spirit is in you to make that happen. So rejoice. And let's turn to 1 John 2.24. 1 John 2.24. Again, the point is that as true believers, we're given new abilities to learn from the Word of God for sanctification's sake, really for God's sake, for His name, for His glory. 1 John 2, 24. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that He made to us eternal life. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. But the anointing that you received from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. So you have the anointing of the Spirit to understand the thoughts of God. Totally a supernatural thing. Okay, let's see. Jumping ahead a little bit in my notes. Another evidence, another fruit of a true believer that, you know, calls for assurance on your part is that you enjoy the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5, 22 and 23. So let's go there and read that, Galatians 5, 22. So it's back to that principle of enjoyment. I I love that word. Because the unbeliever does not enjoy these things of God. The unbeliever doesn't crave these things of God. Only the believer does. Because he's changed from within. He's been given a new heart. So we enjoy the fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5.22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, Faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. So what is the vector in your life? Which direction are you heading? Are these things here that you read about, the fruit of the Spirit, are these gradually increasing in your life? Or at least you have a desire for more of them? If so, that's another sign that you should be assured of your salvation. Our next point from the blog on the board, 
As true believers, we have an abiding love and eagerness for Christ that unbelievers do not have. 1 Corinthians 16.22, Philippians 3.20-21, and 1 John 3.1-3. So uh, let's go to um, Philippians 3.20 on this one. Philippians 3.20. True believers have an abiding love and eagerness for Christ that unbelievers do not have. Again, basically something has changed in you. You have a new heart. Philippians 3.20. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we, wait, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. What does the believer do? They await the Savior. They eagerly await the Savior. They know that this life in this world is not what it's all about. And go to 1 John 3, verse 1. 1 John 3, 1. Got to pick a spot to close. I have no idea how I'm going to do this, but that's okay. The Spirit's going to give out what He wants to give out tonight. 1 John 3, 1. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him, because we shall see Him as He is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. How do we purify ourselves, so to speak? I mean, it's obviously God doing the work in us and through us, right? But how do we purify ourselves? How do we become sanctified? Everyone who hopes in him. It's that simple. Everyone who looks forward to his coming. Everyone who focuses on Christ becomes sanctified, sanctifies himself, if you will. A beautiful thing. All right, let's see. We've only got five minutes left. Can you believe it? I know you can't believe it. Anyway, I'm going to jump forward a little bit. Okay, come on. Okay, we're going to go to, um, and you can catch a lot of the main points here in the blog. Don't forget, go back to the blog on the website. But let's go to this point here. As true believers, oh, sorry about that, one more. We are acutely aware of God's holiness and the presence and power of sin, and we are grateful for the God-given ability to confess and repent from it. Personally, I love this point, that you can be so grateful that God is so forgiving and so there for you, even when you fail that you are grateful just for the ability to confess and repent and be back in lockstep with him. Romans 7, 14 through 25, 2 Corinthians 7, 10, and 1 John 1. So let's go to uh, Romans 7, 14. Romans 7, 14. Basically, what we're saying here is that believers have an inner desire 
to confess or agree with God when they know they're, they're wrong, they're out of line. They have an inner desire to confess and agree with God and to be at peace with God, just like Paul had in Romans 7. So we'll read through this passage and we'll close shortly after that. Romans 7:14. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. I do not understand my own actions, for I do, I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being. You see, you see his desire, the desire of Paul's heart? I delight in the law of God in my inner being. But I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. But do you see his, I hope you see his overall attitude the attitude of his heart, his desire to do the things of God, even as he was struggling. And on the board, this verse also is a fruit of salvation. It's another reason for assurance, 2 Corinthians 7, 10 through 11. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret whereas worldly grief produces death. For see what earnestness this godly grief has produced in you. See, a godly repentance produces in you a certain earnestness for the things of God. See what earnestness this godly grief has produced in you, but also what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what longing, what zeal, what punishment. At every point, you have proved yourselves innocent in the matter. So, again, the point on the board will close with this. We are acutely aware of God's holiness and the presence and power of sin, and we are grateful for the God-given ability to confess and repent from it. If you're grateful, if that's you, if, you, if you're grateful you can just go to God when you sin, and be restored through a humble, repentant attitude. How can we not be grateful for that, right? What a father who's always there, ready to take us back, ready to say, okay, you done with that now? Let's go. Come on. Let's go this way. You're back, you know, in my good graces, so to speak. We should be grateful that we have this type of uh, relationship with a loving, forgiving father. Let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you again for the time to gather together like this 
and to fellowship in your word. We thank you for all the assurances you give us in your word. They are beautiful. They are encouraging. And we thank you for changing our hearts and helping us to enjoy these things. We ask, Father, that you bless us as we go and strengthen our hearts with great courage and assurance of who we are in Christ. And we ask these things in the name of our precious Lord, God and Savior, Jesus Christ, and by the power of your Spirit, we pray. Amen. Amen.